This episode of the Paddock Pass Podcast is brought to you by Fly Racing. Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass Podcast presented by Fly Racing and Rental Street Clip-On Handlebars, premium race-spec clip-ons developed by some of the world's fastest riders. We're going to look back at the French Round the World SBK, myself Steve English and Gordon Ritchie on the pod, and uh, Gordo, it was an action-packed weekend all the way. Oh, it was fantastic. Um, we had everything we, we could ask for on a weekend, all the race drama, and because we came to Magnicura a month before we do normally, we had beautiful September sunshine for almost the whole weekend, just about a Friday loss to the rain, um, and I think that made it for an even better round. Uh, it was just another one of those ones where you come away half exhausted and totally exhilarated. It was a great weekend for everything, controversy, everything. We had everything we needed. Yeah, I have to say, I was fully exhausted, Gordo, on the drive back up to Paris after it. It's uh, there are long days in the World SBK paddock with you know four races on a Sunday. All the classes getting two, two a minimum of two races a weekend now, and uh, they do make for an awful lot of racing over the course of the weekend. But we had an awful lot of good racing as well. Magni Core track that always seems to produce something a little bit special. I think it's the nature of the racetrack. Um, not everywhere's got two absolutely dead stop hairpins, um, and that bunches everybody up. Um, to, even though they might have different uh, abilities out of the bike and different strong areas, when you have two opportunities for everybody to pile into the corner in the early laps and outbreak each other, uh, it, it does tend to make the races a bit closer when, and then eventually it filters out. The good thing is that even at the sharp end this weekend, it filtered out again into being face of the front for the majority of the races, if not all of them in some cases. Well, let's get to it, Gordo, and uh, I'm going to ask for your moment of the weekend. I think it, other than the obvious thing that happened at the end, I think uh, after the first race when top rack Razgat Luoglu did a, a huge stoppy over the start-finish line on the last lap to win the race, um, right in front of pit lane was, yeah, that was my moment of the weekend because it, it said so much about the season, uh, the way it's going, the, the nature of the, the that guy individually, it was just a, a fantastic little moment, a coup de théâtre, as they say in, in, in France. Um, it was planned, they understood what he'd been meaning to do it for a while, but he knew he needed a big enough gap back to the rider behind, and in this case, the rider behind was a guy that he's fighting for the World Championship with, who saw it all. Um, it was obviously also a little bit of mind games uh, on behalf of Top Rack, um, and there's a bit of that creeping into the season, I feel. Yeah, there really is. Top Rack's a rider that wants to do his talking on the track, but isn't afraid of a little bit of needle off track as well, even if it's mostly pretty good-natured with Top Rack. We've seen himself and Scott Redding get at it a few times. We've seen, obviously, a few uh, few other moments through the year. So that's where it's going to get interesting to see how the relationship develops and changes now as himself and Ray start to really battle it out for that championship. Yeah, there's been a few wee moments where they're... they're, uh, they're, they're especially Top Rack is making all these little comments and remarks and so on. There was a great controversy at the end that we'll get into a bit later. Um, but even that was dealt with in a way that uh, was looking for an advantage out of it at the end, even though he ended up losing that position in the race and a win. Um, they still found a way later on to to make it something positive for him, um, to come away with a better image, whatever you want to call it, um, from the weekend. So, yeah, he's, he's not daft, Top Rack. He's, he's, when he came here, he was quite a callow youth. He's now been turned into by himself, by the people round about him, into a fully-fledged potential world champion, not just with the bike skills, but a lot of the other skills you need to get to that level, stay there, and make sure you're competitive 
on and off the bike. Yeah, what I find interesting with the Gordo is that I remember whenever I first really came to the Superbike Paddock full-time in 2016, I was always told to keep an eye out for top rack, you know, Rinaldi as well as, as a young rider coming through at that stage. And I remember at the time you could see the top rack was a talented rider, but you could see he was super inconsistent as well. He was up one week, he was down the next, he'd make some mistakes, fitness was an issue. All those boxes have been ticked now over the last few years. And you have to think that one of the big changes, obviously working with Phil Maron over the last few years at Pichetti and then obviously with Yamaha as well, they've really been able to click together. And we've talked about this at different times on the pod throughout the course of the season. But that relationship seems to be a, a big factor in it. Yes, that's the most direct relationship a rider has to get the best out of himself and the bike on, on the weekend. Um, and obviously him and Phil, despite all the differences between them and the differences in background and everything else, are now clicking and getting what is a much improved Yamaha and not in one area, in all areas, uh, to work well for him, to understand Top Rack's style. The other thing about Top Rack is his style is very, very individual. No other rider rides like him. Um, and that needs somebody to say, okay, well, the guy, well, maybe one guy he rides like every other Yamaha rider, but he's he can't and he won't and he... But if we push the set up to his way, maybe they'll find even more. Um, and what they're managing to do is, for the most part, get through the races with the tyres and the bike in good order. And even when they don't, Top Rack seems to have a little extra where he can kind of overcome that. I'm, I'm getting that feeling through looking at the year that Top Rack still, even when he has a bad day, he's finishing still on the podium. Um, his qualifying still needs some places to be a bit better. That's still an area you can work on, but as it is, as it stands as a complete package, he's he's totally changed from when he arrived with lots of talent and not much else. Um, look at what he's turned it into, and yes, it's it's a that is a genuine team effort and manufacturer effort to get that bike and to get him pointed in the correct direction. Um, and look at where he is; he's leading the world championship. And Gordo, one of the things I thought was really interesting afterwards was when Toprak was talking about how long he'd plan to do this stop he obviously we saw an instagram post where he was comparing himself to keenan from i think it was 2015 and this is something that has been in the pipeline or in his thought process for a long time but obviously needed it all to come together with a race where you're way out in front the track suits it and uh, you're able to pull off just a, a bit of bit of showboating like that yeah, he's, uh, he said afterwards that he'd been planning to do this for a while, but he knew he needed four or five seconds of advantage and he knew he needed to do it in the right place. Well, Magnicur is the perfect place to do it because the start-finish line is right after the final chicane um, and he pulled himself away over to the left-hand side of the track, away from where the any fallen rider might be, then pulled his stoppy, obviously at a reduced speed from we would do on a lot of other tracks because it's, he's just exited the, a very slow chicane. Um, so yeah, it, it was obviously well planned and well executed. Um, he, he knew he, what he needed to do, and he did it the first opportunity he could. Um, and it's it's all part of an image building process to be, because look at him through the season. He's been last year as well, been posting all these videos of him doing big stoppies, coming into pit lane and testing, etc. Um, so it's kind of become his trademark now. He's not the first rider that's ever done a stoppy, but he's becoming very famous for it. People know about him doing it that maybe don't even follow the racing that closely. Um, and yeah. there he did it in a race to, to, to go over the, the, the start-finish line to celebrate a victory over his big ride. Yeah, I think it's one of those ones that when you compare it to... I think Jack Miller is probably the best example that you could use to compare it to. Jack, whenever he was in Moto3, was 
goon riding at the end of races, end of sessions, and it was getting them attention. And, you know, at the end of the day, Jack went from Moto3 straight to MotoGP. And uh, Top Rack's obviously been touted about for a lot of MotoGP seats, and Yamaha were clearly interested in bringing him across. But uh, like you said, Cordo, this is a big thing in trying to keep building your image, building your brand, giving yourself that trademark. And, uh, you know, this is a celebration that we're going to remember for a long time. It was a bit of a shame that we missed it on the actual live broadcast because the first time we heard about it was when Top Rack was getting interviewed down in Park Ferme. And he said, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to do a stoppy. And all I could think of was, Top Rack, all you do is do stoppies. You know, it's every... Every 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 session, you're in like a massive stoppy at the end of them, and you know this is what you do. And then suddenly we saw the replay, and then he thought, "Oh, right, now I understand what he was talking about." But uh, it was definitely something a little bit different. And for my moment of the weekend, Gordo, I'm going to pick something a little bit different. I'm going to pick our mate Chippy Wood, photographer in the paddock, and uh, unfortunately for Chippy, he's going to be the butt of a few jokes because this was where. His suitcase didn't arrive and he's had to go through the whole weekend scrounging t-shirts, looking for this, that and the other, lenses for his camera, basically anything he could just anything he could get his hands on. And uh, it's never a nice situation to be in whenever your luggage doesn't get delivered after your flight. But the uh, big shame for Chippy was you know, we were in France for four days and it never came. So I'd say it's probably just arrived in Magni Hor now as the Paddock drop as the Paddock Pass podcast drops. So uh, that's a bit of bad luck for Chippy and a bit of bad luck for you as well, Gordy. You were sharing with him. Yeah, I was, I was never bad luck sharing with Chippy, Chippy, my mate. Um, no, we shared a, a, a two room part of a B and B on the weekend, and no, I felt I felt for the guy. Everybody's had their baggage lost when you do this for any length of time, but. It's his cameras, it's his working gear. Um, you don't realise how much you rely on it. Um, it's his long lens. So he had cameras and short lenses with him, but he didn't have all the kit. So he had to go and uh, get other things from, you know, cash in a few favours and things. Um, but yeah, it's there's nothing worse. But when it's also your working kit, oof. No, I felt for the guy all weekend. Um, I mean, if I had any clothes that fitted the guy, I could have gave him a few spare ones of mine. But obviously, he would have walked about like a circus tent. So there's no point in me doing that for him. I'll be honest, Gore, I just didn't want to give him any of my stuff. But uh, there was a, there was there was another moment of the weekend for me, and that was Manuel Gonzalez winning the Supersport race on Sunday because this was this was a real statement from Gonzo because this was a weekend where you know obviously last time out in Navarre he had that big crash, first time he's ever crashed out of a race in the Supersport class, first time he hadn't scored points in a Supersport race, and uh, for Gonzalez he bounced straight back and he picked up a great win on Sunday it was him up against Dominic Aguilar the championship leader at the end of that race and uh, you know Gonzalez just he wanted it and he took it and it was a, a great win and I thought what was probably the most important thing was it showed the development and the progression for a 300 rider in the paddock can really be special as well because Gonzalez was a fantastic 300 rider great world champion and now he's been able to show that he could make that step and move from being a, a points finisher to a top 10 runner to a top six guy to a podium threat to a podium finisher and now a race winner. And that's really positive because you want to see that progression for the 300 class. And I thought it was really good this weekend that it wasn't just him that had done it because we saw Andy Verdoya, who, of course, was a race winner last year in the Supersport class in, you know, let's be honest, very fortuitous circumstances in Catalonia. But this was as good as we've seen him on a Supersport bike. Uno Aradre stepped up from the 300 class onto a super sport bike and I think he qualified inside the top 10. You know, so this is really good for the 300 class, Gordo. Yes, and it's it's required. Um, it's been, uh, it, it's not everybody that can do it and it's always, 
the best riders that are going to be able to do it. But now they are showing they're able to do it. And that's a very important aspect of the whole setup of the World Superbike Paddock. You have to have that progression through the classes for the riders that are good enough. They used to do it through Superstock 600, Superstock 1000, then any Super Sport, then any Superbike. It's only ever going to be the best riders that are going to justify that opportunity. But to me, there has to be that opportunity for them to do it. But I was blown away by Gonz. I've been blown away by Gonzalez since he first turned out. I mean, that's he's, he's proper talented um, and still very, very young. Um, and to win against a guy who's been running away with a whole championship this year, even with the dramas he had at the beginning of the delayed super sport race and having his bikes that are very quickly put back together again. Um, that was a, a classic experienced old fox and young Tiger Cub fighting against them. And this time around, the Tiger Cub came out winning. That's significant because, you know, who's beating Agatha this year? Very, very few people. And the kid did it. So there's no question how talented the guy is. Um, and I think we're going to see... Racing in general is going to see a lot more of them. Sorry. Um, yeah, and I think that uh, for Gonzalez, it's going to be interesting to see just how much confidence he can take from this moving forward as well. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see how he does. I think he's always been a rider, like I said, that we've kept an eye on. And now he's able to really show exactly what he can do for that progression. And for us on the Paddock Pass podcast, we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to look at some of the big talking points from the French round of World SBK. Renthal Street Ultralight Rear Sprockets are CNC machined from an advanced aluminum, keeping rotating unsprung mass to a minimum. The integral hard anodized finish has a higher resistance to mechanical wear, which increases its longevity. Available for a huge range of motorcycles with options for a number of teeth and chain pitch. Use the Fit My Bike tool on Renthal.com to find the correct fitment for your bike. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast and Gordo. There's really only one place to start whenever we look at the big talking points and the big topics from the French round the world SBK, and that's the uh, top rack rides got a ugly penalty where he lost the super sport super pole race victory on account of exceeding track limits on the last lap. It's a known penalty if you put if you go onto the green on the last lap, you lose a position. But this was a bit of a strange one because obviously in a situation like this, the rider behind can sit there and then just inherit the position. But we saw Jonathan Ray immediately attack Toprak. Toprak attacking back. Toprak comes out on top. And then we get back to Park Ferme. And for all intents and purposes, it looks like Jonathan Ray immediately goes to his team and says, you need to check the video because Toprak exceeded track limits. Yeah, that was the one of the, the big talking point of the whole weekend um, at the end of everything. And ultimately, yeah, that's what it looked like. Um, and then we heard various different... Uh, stories about how it all came to be, protests, etc. Then we heard another version of that afterwards. End of the day, as you say, Johnny had a go and passed top rank right away after that transgression. Um, whether he noticed it, the team noticed it, anybody else noticed it, um, it, when you go on the green in the final lap, you will be punished by a drop of one place and that means losing your win. So by the rule book, it's a problem that was only came about because of a top rack's own action. However horrible it was to see a guy who's desperate to win three races in one weekend and did on track and made one tiny error at the end. It's the rule book that took his race off him, but it was a rule. Um, so you can't really argue with that, but you can argue against it being fair or not and whether we need to change the rules in the future or not all day. And 
you know, I might have a very sympathetic view of that because it seems a real shame. But the 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 big controversy was what happened afterwards and what happened when and where. And I understand that the, there's a few more things come to light since Sunday night uh, about what happened. And that end of the day, whatever happened and however it happened, it's left a slightly bad taste in the mouth of a lot of people. Um, but in a, in a, and I'm being quite cynical here. It's also created a bit of controversy, which everybody's talking about it. Therefore, everybody's talking about World Superbike. Therefore, it makes the run into the final championship fight even more tasty. Yeah, it wasn't a bad thing to have a little bit of needle between Ray and Razgarioglu and Kawasaki and Yamaha going forward. And obviously in the aftermath, we saw Paul Downing come out and say that, you know, if this is how Kawasaki won a fight, maybe we have to change how we view this sporting contest as well. Yeah, it's all it's all happening. Um, everybody's having... Uh, people say things on a Sunday night that they might not say next week, but I've got a feeling that this is going to last longer than a Sunday night. Uh, because obviously people feel robbed, people feel uh, done over, uh, whatever you want to call it. But the rule book was broken. How the rules got to be implemented is is another thing. But yeah, everybody had an opinion about it. Um, and everybody's, in a way, correct. It's correct that he did break the rules. It's also correct that it was a blooming shame. He didn't get any advantage. And Johnny actually overtook him nanoseconds after he did this, straight onto the green. Johnny went past him. So therefore, the advantage was already over. Maybe that's what needs to change in the rule book. But um, yeah, it's there's now going to be a bit of needle that there wasn't there before. They all respect each other. They all understand very well what's going on. But when, it's when those emotional aspects come in, then people start to say, okay, right, dig my heels in a bit more. So yeah, we'll see what happens from now on. But it, it can only make the run into the end of the season even more enthralling to me. Yeah, one of the things I found really interesting about Cordo as well is in the aftermath, there was one of the uh, the Paddock veterans and uh, they immediately made the comparison back to Suzuka in the eight hours in 2019 when once again it was Kawasaki inheriting that uh, victory. And you, know, you do need to know the rule book. You need to know it inside out and you need to be in a position to just say, you know what? Every point matters. If we get to the end of the season and Jonathan Ray loses the championship by five points or less, then this was the moment that they that they had to try and make up those five points. So for Kawasaki, yeah, it might be a little bit against what uh, people would have wanted to have seen. And certainly different from what I wanted to see. I, I I don't like to see races set like this. I can guarantee you the FIM race panel and the stewards don't want to see races settled like this. But like you said, Gordo, the rules are the rules. They're there in, well, effectively black and white and green. And uh, for Top Rack, this isn't the first time where he's Fallen foul to this penalty as well. We saw it in the Aragon Super Pole session. We saw it in the Aragon in the Aston Super Pole race. Yeah, I mean that's the this is the second time this has happened to drop positions for Top Rack. Uh, Locatelli also in Aston lost the position and his first podium actually he got taken off his first podium. Now they earned the the right to those positions, but the, they had made a mistake at the end. And we're in exactly the same position. You look at the beginning of the year talking about Kawasaki rule books and going back to Suzuka. Um, Kawasaki, somebody somewhere obviously made a miscalculation or a misunderstanding or there was a miscommunication somewhere along the line. But Kawasaki had brought a, what they considered a new engine for all the winter testing and to bring into this year to allow Jonathan and, and Alex and the rest of the Kawasaki privateers to stay on terms at top end with all the other bikes that are getting a little better around about them. 
Um, but they weren't allowed to have the five or 600 revs extra that they had tested all winter with. So there's already been that controversy. The rule book uh, was open to interpretation, but the only people who interpret it correctly are the people in charge of it, which is the FIM and Donna. And Kawasaki didn't get the 500 revs. Um, so that's another uh, thing that needs to be clarified maybe in the future, or somebody just didn't understand. Um, here, it's the same thing. You can say it's not fair that top rack was was dropped back one position, but you can also say, well, okay, what if it was in a different circumstance, he went on a green and did take an advantage? And maybe, it, you know, the, the whole idea of these things is, is mostly safety. They stop people going off the track at the end. They know they can't go on the green, so they don't fight enough to say, well, I'll just push the guy on the green or I'll go on the green to get an advantage for someone. So... What started off as one thing has now become another, um, with all the best intentions. So I think the green paint thing is going to run for a while uh, completely, but the rules are there, and if it happened to any other rider, uh, they would have got punished as well. Well, as you often say, Gordo, the straw bales are there for everyone, and uh, you've got to you've got to understand everything out there on the track on those last laps in particular and uh, this was one of those cases where it's very unfortunate for Top Rack you know he spent he spoke, spoke the whole way through the weekend about how he always wanted to do a triple and we all thought he had done the triple and then suddenly he hadn't and it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward from this both for, for Top Rack for Yamaha and for Kawasaki and for Ray because we're going to go to a, a track next in Catalonia that is one that really plays the strengths of the Yamaha. We saw that last year. Gerloff and the Mark Toprak all really quick in Catalonia. It didn't really help the Kawasaki's too much last year, but they have been able to test there since then. So we'll see if they can now make some progress for the next round. Yeah, we should end up with a, a closer from the beginning weekend um, all round at this, uh, the upcoming weekend in Catalonia. Um, given, especially given the way everybody's going to be super extra motivated and given how the championship's working out. Um, Yes, it's what we've realised this year is it's impossible to call individually who's going to do what. Johnny should have been able to, well, he did at the end win one race, but you would have, you wouldn't have imagined that any rider was going to win three races this weekend uh, because Johnny's also got very good form at Magnicure. He's got areas of the track that suit his bike to negate the advantages that the Yamaha has in some other areas. You would have, I would have put money on a, a split. Uh, result this in France and I'm going to do exactly the same in Catalonia unless the any last residual issue with the Yamaha has been negated um, I think it's going to go well there we'll see if the Kawasaki which is still having some issues in corner entry uh, can nullify them enough based on the, the experience they had through testing and let's face it everybody's going to start with more or less this, the settings that they ended that Catalonia test with because it was done in warm conditions We'll see where the weather conditions are in a few days' time. But if it's like it was in testing, everybody's going to start further along. And therefore, all those tiny little advantages you can take or disadvantages you might find for yourself are going to multiply over the weekend. Yeah, and it's going to be uh, key now. Obviously, this is the triple header for World SBK. We go from Hareth to Hareth. We go from Catalonia to Hareth to uh, Portimao. So uh, it really is the busy section of the year. And this is when the championships, in all likelihood, to be uh, won and lost. Obviously, uh, we'll still have San Juan and Argentina and Indonesia to go in the flyways at the end of the year. But uh, this really is the section where it's up to Ray and Kawasaki to be able to 
keep coming back because this has been a season Gordo where we've seen the cracks appear for Ray. We saw you know big saves in different races. We saw the crashes in Most and also in Donington Park. And it's a long time now since uh, Ray's been able to win the battle out on track. Obviously, he picks up his race win in Magni Core in that Super Bowl race. But before that, he hadn't won since Aston. Yeah, and it's, it's it's a perfect demonstration about how good everybody else is. Because remember, we're talking about uh, Johnny still riding at the height of his powers. I don't think Ray's lost really much, much of anything. Um, I think ultimately what's happening is that his bike has reached a, a limit that they're now trying to overcome and push on even further. But they've known that bike for years. So they're trying to find something in areas that they've already explored and had to come back from. So they're now trying to find new areas of the bike, which has now got a few new parts on it compared to last year, but not what they fully expected. Um, so a lot of the data from winters is not particularly relevant. But as everybody else has got better or was already able to beat him on a day like the Ducati, Ducati, when it works, can still beat anything, as Reading can show, as Ronaldo's shown this year, when you get it to work properly. But the Yamaha seems to be working well everywhere. And it's not just top rack. It's uh, obviously Locatelli's doing well on it. We've seen flashes from Gerloff. It's it, it's all changed round about, Jonathan. And that's what's different. When you look at the year with Bautista, for example, Bautista's season fell apart. And Jonathan, finishing second, 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 suddenly started winning. And the next thing you know, he's away and won the championship by miles. When you look at last year, the bizarre season they had last year, the inconsistencies of Ducati is what helped Jonathan to, when he's riding at his best, just put in those results and win the championship again. That What's changed this year is he's got one rival who seems to be getting better as the season goes on and more consistent. The bike he's riding seems to be completely consistent. That is something he hasn't come up against going to just ask you Gordo that this kind of moves on nicely into topic two for me this this weekend was where the Ducatis again it was just that struggle for them and you know you mentioned there the consistencies that Jonathan Ray has over the years and the inconsistencies that uh, Ducatis had and this was another weekend where we saw that come to the fore. Yes it's it's, it's a strange situation um, when you've got a bike that's that good that the next weekend is really not that good and none of the riders seem to be able to do anything with it. We used to think we had the Ducati worked out when they brought the V4 that it was going to be a weekend of advantage for Ducati in general uh, and and against the others. Now it's the big Ducati rider versus the smaller Ducati rider, the temperature that they're operating in, etc. Reading in a, in a too complicated way to explain on a podcast, but he explained to us exactly uh, why he thinks the Ducati uh where it performs, when he can win and when he can't win. And there's two situations where he feels that he personally, for his build and his approach to riding and everything, is that when it's cool and the tyres can stay all race, he can be competitive. When it gets hotter, he can because other people can make the tyres work a bit better. But when it gets really hot and everybody's got greasy tyres, then he can compete. That's exactly, in a nutshell, it was a lot more complicated than that, but in a nutshell, that's what he was saying. And we saw in race two at the weekend, Reading finishing on the podium when it didn't look very much possible at the start because it was 28 degrees and a higher track temperature. So he was competitive yeah. again. 
And, and we saw again that whenever it did get to that greasy nature, that that's where Rinaldi had his big edge, which plays into what Reading was talking about, Gordo, where just on those days, the lighter rider seems to be able just to manage it that little bit better until it gets really bad, where again, it even affects someone like Rinaldi. So this is what we saw with Bautista in the past as well. And uh, that's where it's going to be interesting to see if next year, Ducati can cure some of those woes just by having those two light riders and being able to go down the same path. But it didn't really work out too well for them when they had two heavier riders, two larger riders, Chaz Davis and Scott Redding. So it's it could well just be that, and we've talked about this a lot in the pod in the past, where there's just an inherent flaw in that bike where it's just that little bit fickle. It's very fickle. And the problem is this is what, year three? And they haven't worked it out yet. They're still going out thinking, right, okay, we well, should do this. And they come in, it's like, nope, it's not doing this. Um, I'm amazed at the inconsistency, but I guess maybe when you run something up to the, the edge, the, the engine's a very big bore. Um, it's it's quite an extreme bike. It's a it's there's probably very little you can do on that bike because it's basically engine with a few bits bolted on the front and back. Um, it it's yeah, it's it's a very different way of doing things from everybody else. Um, probably the engine-wise, as we've seen from the history of, of just the production-based racing, V4s have got a pretty good track record. Look at all those bikes in the past that have been successful with a V4 engine. So it's probably down more to chassis um, and the overall design of the bike um, rather than just the engine. But, you know, I'm talking, I'm, I'm putting out theories. The problem is that the very clever engineers with a lot of experience and the people who built that bike are still inside the factory team scratching their heads on on weekends at World Superbike races. So, yeah, it's not that there's no theory involved here. It's They have a problem, which is inconsistency. When it works, it's brilliant. And, Gordo, it is one of those things that, and you've always talked about this, how a bike needs to work in all conditions. It needs to work in the middle of Ireland or the middle of California. It needs to work in potholed roads and motorways it needs to be able to work in hot conditions cold conditions and you know some production bikes are just more all-round packages and uh you know the ducati is a very much a focused bike same as the honda is a very focused bike and uh coincidentally they're the two most powerful bikes on the grid and they're the two bikes that obviously with the honda we've seen it all the way through that bike's life that it's been a struggle just to to really find something for it whereas the ducati when it works it works really well yeah um and the, the, the Ducati is a different design from everything else, and I think that's very key. The Honda is a much more conventional design on paper, but it's having its problems because, uh, well, because the, it's a horrible period of time for Honda and HRC in this paddock, and you can't deny that. Um, they built a bike which is based on the, the, the Fireblade legend all those years through. It should, be, it should have worked first time, and then COVID arrived, and half their engineers couldn't get to the races. They're having to do things on webcam back to Japan um, instead of having people there seeing what's going on. Um, in theory, the, sh- the Honda should have been competitive from day one, but maybe because it was so extreme, like the Ducati, um, it's it's taming that, it's controlling that without taking the edge off it. But the Honda's shown a few signs to me um, of improvement, um, and maybe this is a subject we'll, we can talk about a little bit later, but I think the... The problem is I think Ducati have maxed out, to go back to what we're really talking about with Ducati, they might have maxed out now and now all they're doing is going round. They maybe need a, a rejig of that bike as a homologated model to to make it more consistent, not to make it faster because it's got enough performance. 
Um, and we've already found out that when you have more performance, it can bring more problems. You need to be able to use that performance for one minute and 30 seconds every lap for 22 laps without killing the tyre. And maybe the Ducati and the Honda are already at the stage of killing tyres and you're having to play tyre management with your power anyway, which they might be the root of the whole problem. Well, it's all about being able to find the time to get that performance. We've actually got time for an ad break now on the Paddock Pass podcast. So when we come back, we're going to look at actually the Honda and the BMW situation and how we saw some signs of life from them this weekend. And also a look at one of the coming men of World SBK. Fly Racing believes that our most important obligation is to provide the highest performing products to riders worldwide. Offering both on- and off-road products for every price range, Fly Racing is committed to reshaping expectations. Fly Racing revolutionized the off-road world with the Formula Helmet, featuring Rion technology. Visit flyracing.com and at flyracingusa on Instagram to learn more about the innovation that can keep you protected in 2021. Welcome back to the Paddock Pass podcast. We're going to kick off the final part of the show by looking at Andrea Locatelli, the Supersport World Champion, and the work that he's been able to put in over the course of the last four rounds. Because Gordo, he's been one of the standout riders this year. We saw last year in the Supersport class that Locke had a lot of talent. But when he was confirmed as Paddy Yamaha's factory Yamaha rider for next year, the talk up and down the pit lane was all about how did Gerloff not get this seat? Locatelli, come on. Like he's 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 done well in super sports, but it's a class that, you know, was a bit weak last year. You know, there, there was question marks about him. And then suddenly, all the way through this year, he's been really strong. He's fourth in the world championship now. You know, he's I think the best part of fifty points clear of Garrett Gerloff in the standings. And uh, he's finished top five in the last twelve races. He's had podiums and he looks like he's the real deal. I think without question he is the real deal. Already. Um, we're talking about him not as top rookie. He's, he's that by miles. He's, he's, we're talking about him already after eight races into his world championship career in Superbike as one of the top riders. Not the top rookie rider. The top riders. Okay, he's on a factory bike, but the GRT Yamahas are so close to factory bike. It's, it's just not a deal. Um, and they're all very collaborative. It's you know it's an overall effort, which is part of the reason why they're all going so well. Um, Locatelli, yeah, there was questions even there, there were voices even inside Yamaha thinking, okay, maybe. Um, and now, poor, not only have they got top rack in the factory team, that they, they, they've got arguably now based on results the the right second guy, but that second guy's fourth in the world championship. That's pretty impressive. However good the Yamaha is, it's very important to remember that this is a, 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 a partnership thing between the rider and the bike. So the bike is very good. But he's a very different rider from Top Rack. So therefore, he but he's on a very good bike making the most of it. So the rider and the bike are both working well. Therefore, fourth in the World Championship, as it stands, with a rookie. Even though a very experienced rookie, but most of his experience has been on small bikes. Then he gets on a 600, wins that out of the park last year. Okay, or the Bardell bike, you could say, is the, the best bike there at that time. But he won it by miles. And now he's come into Superbike, and he wasn't genius to start, but he was obviously doing the right things and learning the right things and listening to the right people and putting it all together. And then all of a sudden, assing on the podium. That was round five. 
So he's got himself from first podium in round five to fourth in the championship at round eight. That that is that's shooting, as we say in Scotland. That is shooting, you know. And uh, Gordo, how much of the that you put down to Andrew Pitt as well? Obviously, Pitty's a, a ex rider, a lot of experience, and a guy that we've been able to see get the most out of a lot of riders in the past. Alex Lowe's, Michael Vandermark, you know, even uh, you know, whenever you you look back at his time within uh, within other teams, he's always been a good rider. Riders crew chief. He's always been a guy that's been able to give the rider what they need and he seems to be able to do that once again with Locatelli. Oh yeah, without question. I think uh, Andrew's um, uh, he obviously understands an awful lot about how the bike works. Um, he, he actually said to me earlier in the year he wished he'd understood when he was a rider more about how the, the, the bike worked. He would maybe have been a better rider. Um, he was already a very good rider. Um, but yes, he's he's he, there's two ways of becoming a crew chief to me that make you a very effective person. One is a mega engineer who just understands all that side of it and then the rider goes and does the rest. And then you've got someone who has understands what the rider needs out of it, can maximise what the engineers bring to let them uh, make the most out of it. Um, Andrew seems to be mixing those things very well. And he, he again, I'm sure he's not telling Walker how to ride but he understands when Locker comes in and says, it's doing this, it's doing that. They, as an engineering group, can put that all together and, and the solution is in the box and Andrew knows what which one to bring. I'm not party to the conversations. No one is. They, they sit in the pit box and in and, and the, the, the hospitality night talking about it. But yes, they are getting... He is being allowed to bring his talents to the fore and a big part of that is the experience of Andrew Pitt. Who is a different background of engineer of crew uh, chief from Phil Marin. You know, end of the day, come from very different um, approaches to it and look at the job both of them are doing. And maybe Andrew being an ex rider was a better fit for Locatelli. Say they had the choice of, of crew chiefs, but maybe Andrew would be a better fit for Locatelli because he was a super sport rider who transitioned to Superbike, which is exactly what um, Locatelli's doing. And obviously, Gordo as well, we've seen with Locatelli that he's been able to bring his super sport style to the fore on a superbike as well. This has been one of the big changes we've seen in the last few years and the X tyre, the super soft compound tyre, the bigger profile tyre, it's really allowed riders to work with any number of riding styles with those Pirelli tyres now and I think that's one of the big changes as well. It's not like it was say four or five years ago where you had to ride in a very specific way to get the bike upright, use the big part of the tyre and then just use that for your drive. Now you really are able to try and carry the corner speed like a 600. Yes, and that's a very good point, Steve, um, because what they brought that tyre for, the bigger tyres for, was more outright grip, i.e. more grip when you're coming out of corners, which you need, and more grip going into corners, which is just as important now, if not more important for a, a modern-day superbike. So the irony is that the thing that they were brought for to handle the greater power of these bikes is actually helping them to have better corner speed, super sport-style corner speed which obviously also plays into the hands of someone like uh, Locatelli. So he is now maximising the best of both worlds. His super sport experience might be helping him in his transition to superbike rather than fighting to try and ride it like a super sport bike all the time. He obviously understands, well, I can use a super sport approach in that part of the corner or in this series of corners where I can't use all the power anyway, but... I need to learn to get more on the gas and more like a superbike coming out of the corners in the places where I can really use the power, um, which is why superbikes are always faster than supersport bikes. Even if it's a small Nagy track, they're always quicker 
because you have to use that power more often. Um, so yeah, I think as a hybrid, I mean, a lot of uh, cars and on the road now, hybrid power, I think uh, Locatelli is a bit of a hybrid right now and that's maybe what's going to be needed purely again because of something we didn't envisage, which was the change in the nature of the tyres, which just give more grip. And even the X tyres are giving more grip for longer. So you've got a choice of a harder tyre to go the full distance or to get away from your rivals using the soft one. The the world's got a little bit more complicated and set up, but even the rookie seems to be using those changes to his advantage. Yeah, and Gordo, we can't really talk about the uh, second Yamahas without talking about Garrett Gerloff as well. Because earlier in the season, obviously, we saw Gerloff right up at the sharp end, podiums and uh, really challenging for race wins. Obviously, the high-profile incidents, the clashes with other riders. But uh, the Garrett Gerloff we've seen for the last three rounds has just been the exact opposite. It's been a rider in his shell, clearly just trying to survive rather than be able to be himself, try and attack. Yes, I think the, the we've seen a very different Gerloff after Hassan um, when it all... Uh, went a bit wrong and there were words spoken to him about uh, how things like that can't happen again with a big collision with the the Yamaha Championship leader. Yeah, maybe he's gone into shell too much. Maybe he's just been a bit too careful. Maybe because he knows he's all signed up for next year, he's looking at next year. I don't know. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to speak to Garrett properly this weekend. I'd love to hear that. It's a regret for the weekend, uh, the very busy weekend, but... Um, I, I wish I'd gone and be able to talk to him about it properly because it does seem that he's 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 just toned himself down a bit too much. We said recently on the podcast that we didn't really want him defanged, and I think maybe he has been at the moment. Um, and that's unfortunate. We'd like to see him again. Maybe Catalonia, uh, the site of his first podium, if my memory serves me correctly, will be the catalyst to get him going again to what we can see from him because he's such an exciting talent. He's obviously got a lot of speed. Um, and a very fast American rider the championship needs um, and on a bike which is, seems capable of staying with anything and, and beating anything on its day yeah I hope Catalonia might see him back in with the fight again because it's uh, it's more exciting when you've got Garrett in there yeah definitely and uh, hopefully we're able to see him start to, to show that again we did actually get to see Gordo that Chaz Davis showed uh, some signs of life again in the last round we actually saw it in Novara as well he was fast in Friday practice just didn't quite come together for him in Spain but this weekend did seem that it was a lot more competitive from Chaz as well yes um, he's not carrying he's much more comfortable on the bike he's not as in, in as much pain and uh, lack of movement as he was because he's had a few niggled injuries um, that's definitely a bit better. He's getting more into his training regime. He's not quite 100% back into it. But, you know, Chaz, he's such a professional. He's such a perfectionist. He's got a way of doing things and he hasn't been able to do it that way just because he hasn't been 100% fit. Um, not the way he wants to be fit anyway. Um, and, yeah, but when you show Chaz, when you get the bike set up right, he is one of those riders that needs things to be, everything to be lined up. When they do, can beat Johnny. When they do, can challenge for a world championship. When he's got the thing around him to let him, he can challenge for a world championship. Um, now he's on a privateer bike, but it is a Ducati, which we've seen can win races, can be on the podium. He's shown it. He's, he, the, Rinaldi showed it before. Um, yeah, it's lovely to see. Chaz is a, is, is a legend of this class. He's been around in it so, for so long. He's achieved so much. Um, it's great to see the sorry, Chaz, old guys winning as much as the young guys. 
Um, it's always kind of heartwarming when you get the guys that have won that, that can win again or, or you know get on the podium again. Yeah, Chaz has still got it all there. It just might not be there every weekend for him because of circumstance, because of a million different things. But when he's when he's on, he's really on Chaz, and he's still one of the best riders in the world. Yeah, and uh, Gordo, just to uh, just to move on and from that to our final topic of the week's pod and uh, it was the real coming to life again for Honda and BMW actually showing something competitive. Leon Haslam qualified really well inside the, the top six for Haslam on the grid and then Bautista came through, he was able to run inside the top six. Obviously in the longer races he's always able to make that tyre last a little bit better but this was good for Honda and then on the other side of that as well we also saw BMW come really good. Tom Sykes on the front row of the grid able to get into the battles for Tom over the course this weekend but uh, didn't quite get uh, the rewards I think that probably his potential could have had and then Michael Vandermark had a real troubled weekend didn't do any running in FP1 like everyone didn't do any running in FP3 because of a technical issue lost some running at the end of FP2 goes out in a Super Bowl session qualifies top 10 and then comes away with really good results in all three races yeah a lot to cover there Steve but yeah we start with the Honda Um, ultimately there's a there's a Honda's problems continue relative to where they would want to be, but also definitely definitely a wee bit of beam of light for them um, since they've been able to test a little bit this year. It's obviously starting to pay off a little bit in races when they bring that information from testing and development. They did try some new material uh, in some of the recent tests. That uh, how much of that's making it to this year or whether it's for next year is unknown. Um, and there's obviously so many things you can change. Uh, you get sealed engines and limited number. Same for everybody. Um, but that bike is definitely making a bit of stride forward. We know what his good points have been, and it seems to be they are starting to negate the bad points a bit. Um, maybe they're masking them. Maybe they're sorting them one by one. But we always thought that bike had potential. If the bike as it stands doesn't need a new homologation, one rider thinks it probably does and one rider thinks it doesn't, um, maybe their time will be next year when they're allowed to start a whole new cycle of engine, uh, bringing those actual development engines to races without using up their allocation. Um, we still don't know if we're going to have two rounds at the end, although we probably should do. So there, there's a lot of things to think about beyond the obvious with Honda, and they're still at the start of a degree of their development two years in. Amazing though it sounds, but those are the way the rules are in World Superbike now. And it's a production-derived championship. They can't just change things because they feel like it or want to. Um, but yeah, I think the Honda's showing a few more signs. Um, if they were to have two weeks on track, some you know, two weeks worth of testing, that might, might be transformed already. Um, we'll see. But it's definitely better. BMW, yeah, there's obviously a huge potential in that bike when it works properly. Um, the To me, the kind of... Similar bike as the Ducati, when they get everything lined up and working, they can get podium results and uh, riders of quality of Van der Mark and Sites can show what the bike can do. Um, but they're still having these niggly engineering issues. I mean, it's amazing how much track time they lost this weekend in a factory team. It's It was the talk of the inside of the paddock. Why, why are the BMWs parked in pit lane? This is, this is an almost impossible situation for me to get my head around why they're having these, it seems to be, preparation problems. Um, whether it's from the factory, whether it's uh, building the bikes, whatever it is, there's niggly problems that you should not really get, certainly not very often in a factory team. So there's something still needs to be turned around in there. Um, we know the quality of the people there. 
we understand what BMW is. There's no reason why these things can't be rectified um, before they get on track. But to to come back from where all those problems of the weekend to get some good results and to again, Tom Sykes to be on the front row shows where the, where the BMW team can be. Um, so they're having similar issues uh, in terms of being where they want to be as Honda. It's a it's a revised bike from last year, different model, but you know the same base of bike, but heavily revised. Um, so they're still on some degree of development as well. Uh, the the Honda and the BMW, there's nothing that is on those bikes that shouldn't let them be as competitive as any other bikes. And that's the most important thing. That's the thing to look forward to for next year and maybe the end of the year. Um, but yeah, it was a good turnaround for BMW. Uh, I think Honda probably got a bit less out of end the results of the weekend than they expected. But I think both those things, when situations are remedied or when they have the time to do them, um, yeah, those bikes are going to be there. there. There's nothing in them that leads me to think anything else. Yeah, a lot of ground uh, covered on this week's Paddock Pass podcast. Looking back at the French round of World SBK. And Gordo, you've got a fair bit of ground to cover to get yourself down to Catalonia as well. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm currently in the wonderful environs of a uh, Ibis Budget Hotel in uh, Vichy, en France. Uh, and it's a beautiful day outside. Uh, yeah, I'm taking a bike around all these rounds. I, I, I went to Magnicura on a bike. Um, and I'm going to do the rest of the European ones. Uh, by bike, kind of like I did last year, um, uh, partly to get some work done because I'm not flying and filling in forms for the rest of my life. Um, but you know, which sounds daft when I'm going to be spending so much time on the road. But yes, yeah, it's, it's great. It's a it's it's a great way of doing it. You do feel more connected to the races when you do you arrive there on a bike. It's the way most fans probably get to the races, and yeah, it makes you feel the best of both worlds. I'm loving it. It's great, and the weather's fantastic. The weather's amazing, so that does help. A bit too amazing yesterday. I came in. I must have lost 10 litres of water yesterday when I came in after the ride, 30 degrees. It was, that's hot for an old Scotsman, mate. 10, ten litres of water, Gordo, is that what you call it? Uh, well, yeah. I'm being polite, Steve. We're on the radio here, kind of. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's a public forum, Gordo, I, I can't be too graphic, please. They're almost not ready. For yeah, well, I tell you what, we were graphic enough about Chippy, I'd imagine, for some people. So uh, we'll uh, definitely leave it like that as uh, as, a, as a gentleman Scott uh, riding through the, the middle of France. But uh, Gordo, it's been great having you on the pod as usual. And uh, we'll obviously be back in a couple of weeks' time for the uh, Catalan round to look back at that. So from myself, Steve English, from Gordon Ritchie, and from all the team of the Paddock Pass podcast presented by Fly Racing and Renthal Street, big thank you to everyone for listening to the show and also for supporting us on patreon.com forward slash paddockpasspodcast. If you want to get extra content all the way through the MotoGP season, check out the Patreon page. This episode of the Paddock Pass podcast was produced by Jensen Beeler, David Emmett, Steve English, Neil Morrison, and Adam Wheeler. It was edited by Brian Burnett. Music is provided by The Liberty. All inquiries can be sent via email to team at paddockpasspodcast.com.